Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who think that books don't reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Roderman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy X, which was released in 2001, was developed by Squaresoft, and published by Square. Of course, it's been re-released about 150,000 times, and in subsequent releases, it was like really it was developed by Square Enix, or Squaresoft, and not Square Enix. They changed their name somewhere in between the yeah, release of this game. There was game. a merger of the Square and Enix, the yeah. two companies. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a whole thing. Yeah, but before we jump into the discussion, uh, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave a like or a rating if you appreciate the content. Final Fantasy X is a JRPG, which I don't think I'm going to get much flack for saying. <laughs> this is a very sort of like traditional cut and dry kind of JRPG. Uh, and I agonized over sort of what to start talking about until I decided to just let you deal with it. But I do want <laughs> to start by saying, like, I am surprised that I enjoyed this game as much as I did. Uh, and I think part of that is nostalgia because I played this game back when I was, like, a, a wee lad. But now, like, I, I fully expected this to be a game that I came back to and went, like, fuck this. Like, I hate <laughs> everything about this. And I really didn't find myself doing that. It's it's rare for me to play an RPG and just, like, dive in headfirst and, and enjoy myself. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going to suggest we start as well, is, like, our history with the game. Because I know, un- probably unexpectedly to most people, <laughs> you have a history with this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also bought it back in the day, probably, like, a year or so after its release, it got it like in a discount bin. I, I hadn't played any Final Fantasy games. I was just like, oh, I've heard of this. You right. know, like picked it up. A classic childhood uh, occurrence. Uh, and I played about a third of it and got stuck on something and like never came back to it. And it was always kind of like in the back of my mind, like I should go back and finish Final Fantasy X. But I just never did. It's right. one of those games. Um, so this was my first full playthrough of it. Yeah, I um, yeah. When when did I say this came out? Literally a minute ago. Two thousand one. In two thousand one, I was young enough still that most of the games that I played were like, it's weird to call them like hand me downs because that's not really true. They were just games we owned in a library, but most of them were bought by my brother, who's several years older than I am. So. Uh, like, when I was a kid, I would just sort of pick something out and start playing it, and Final Fantasy was one of the games that I got, like, into. And, like, I, I was... I didn't have as developed tastes as far as, like, things that I like and dislike, and was just so bemused by the idea of controlling 3D characters in a video game uh, that, like, I pretty much loved everything that I played. Mm-hmm. Um, famously, Glover, a game that everyone hates, is, like, the only game that I didn't like when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I feel like such a uh, a shill, an industry shill, for even saying that. I want to be the dark horse. He's like, Glover was actually great, but I'm not. I feel like I liked it as a kid, <laughs> but I liked any kind of, like, mascot platformer adjacent thing, so... Mm-hmm. Like, just blindly as a kid, because that was my shit. Yeah. It kind of um, still is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but even more so back then. Yeah. 
Um, I'm sure that Glover is actually terrible, and I wouldn't like it now. But um, next time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one thing you kind of skirted up against there, or skirted past, whatever the expression is, mm-hmm. um, was how it looked, uh, like controlling 3D characters, and like that was one of the. Uh, big like selling points of this game or one of the things that was significant about it when it came out was like how good it looked Mm -hmm. because this came out this was in development at the same time as final fantasy 9 and came out like a year later i think and you look at final fantasy 9 and it looks like a ps1 game like a very good looking ps1 game but a ps1 game and then you look at final fantasy 10 and it just like blows it out of the water (laughs) like it looks the leap in graphical quality is enormous yeah and that was like a big thing about this game that even i can remember that about it from 2001 and i was like 11 back then and i can remember people making a big deal about it yeah that was a big part of its marketing push and also like has cemented this idea in the general populace's mind that like you associate square enix with these like over the top like super silky smooth like pre-rendered graphics and stuff Mm -hmm. to the point where we talked about it i don't know if we talked about it on the original kingdom hearts episode but at least on kingdom hearts 3 we mentioned it with all of these like extravagant like cutscenes and stuff it's like i think on the kingdom hearts 3 we're complaining that they didn't look (laughs) as good as as the studio is known for but like i think this is the game that started that it absolutely is because i think Adjusted for inflation, this is like the most like financially uh, like profitable game that they've ever put out. Uh, even though I think Final Fantasy VII sold more units mm-hmm. uh, in its time, so like, and I think they looked at that and were like, people really respond to like a beautiful looking game, and they kind of like made that their thing, and it ended up like shooting themselves in the foot pretty hard <laughs> as it got into like the ps3 and 4 generations where it became so much more expensive to produce something like graphically impressive yeah yeah because like this game uses a lot of like little cheats and stuff and i'm actually happy to go into talking about the visuals here because i think there are a lot of uh, of places where you can see the i don't know like the the direction like the art direction especially sort of like pointing to the game's strengths. And so I think the first thing that we should acknowledge here probably is that most recently we both played the HD, like, remaster of the game. Yeah. Um, so I played the original PS2 version. I have long since misplaced that copy of the yeah, game. I say I have it. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I thought about <laughs> booting it up and playing some of it, but didn't. Right, because that would take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I have, I have like, compared screenshots and stuff to sort of, like, get an idea as to what was done. And I'm impressed in two ways. One, that the original PS2 game actually holds up better than I expected it to. Mm-hmm. And also how good they did of a job of, like, up everything in the PS4 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, like, a graphics guy, so I can't exactly describe what i think was done and how well it was done but i looked at it and i went wow looks pretty nice yeah i'm not sure what exactly all goes into remastering like obviously they up the textures to hd mm-hmm. quality but like i don't know if they go back and like smooth out the models and stuff like it's kind of hard to tell um 
But yeah, like it it looks like they only just updated the textures really and I'm sure they smoothed out other things under the hood. Yeah. Um but like for the most part it just needed like the visual like the resolution enhancement and it still looks good. Yeah. And I mean it's one of the strengths of the RPG genre as a whole in when you have a, a turn-based combat system uh you can spend a whole lot of time working on things that are not base mechanics because everything's operated with a menu you don't have to fuck around with like attack frames and and hit boxes and stuff you just play animations um and well that can be really funny at times uh because of like the way that different animations interact with different enemies watching rn do shooting star on a sandworm will never be old to me uh (laughs) it's just hysterical but the uh like that is why I think that like Square gets this like reputation because the type of games that they're making, they get to spend a lot of that budget on the things that people remember about the game, the visuals, the music, the storylines, like those are the Final Fantasy things. And you will have diehards and people talk to you about like, oh, well, the combat system in Final Fantasy VIII was slightly different than the combat Mm -hmm. system in Final Fantasy IX because of this and that. Like in the long run, and we're going to spend time, like probably a lot of time talking about mechanics and Mm -hmm. how the battle system works. But in the end, that's not what people remember this game for. Yeah, that's really, I think, at least to me, it's like their greatest value as a developer is like they know how to pluck at your heartstrings um, and really create like a game that you'll remember. Um, Even their games that I'm not, wasn't a huge fan of that I've played, like they stick in my memory. They usually have great music, you know, like they have all those qualities that like I think people connect with. Mm-hmm. They they always like put a lot of value in that stuff, even from like back in the NES days. Yeah, I mean, Final Fantasy music as like a whole is definitely one of those things that's just like a cultural touchstone within the sphere of of people who play video games. People just know that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, is that what we want to? Because like normally we keep the music for the end, which I think should speak on how good the music is that we brought it up this early yeah i mean we can talk about the music um i feel like this is up there as far as final fantasy soundtracks go like maybe not as a whole as strong as some of the others but there's some really standout tracks like the hymn of the faith which is going to be the song i request you put in as the (laughs) mid-roll but you do whatever you want uh i love that yeah song it's just like a simple you know like choir chant but it's like really uh hypnotic almost like it's a really strong melody there um i like the ronso theme or it might just be kamari's theme like it's really good and there's a number of others i know i've told you like several times but i listen to this like chill video game music (laughs) playlist and like there's a handful of songs from this game on it Mm -hmm. so it was really weird for me to encounter them like in context kind of like you and uh twilight princess yeah the zelda the zelda mod for skyrim yeah uh we're reaching back for that reference but yes (laughs) yeah so there was like a weird like familiarity to it already uh because as you were saying like people in the video game community just kind of fucking love final fantasy music so i already knew like four of the songs yeah and like to this day i've played exactly three final fantasy games i've played 7 10 and 15 and 
I didn't finish seven or fifteen. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe we'll do something on one of those for the podcast at some point, and I will have to finish them, or we'll play a different one. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never really associated myself with like being a fan of Final Fantasy music, and I know a lot of people are very like religious about it. And this game kind of like helped me realize like, oh, there are a lot of Final Fantasy songs that I just like fucking know from being in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. like it's not just one winged angel and shit like you just know like the final fantasy 7 battle theme is really iconic yeah and it, like everyone fanfare is like a is a basically a meme like yeah. it's in genetics at this point <laughs> yeah like everyone knows the prelude like the menu theme mm-hmm. and like yeah as you said the the victory theme uh the, the chocobo song like it's the yeah no i up to this point i've yeah. been calling it uh the love theme from final fantasy <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah that makes more sense that it's called prelude mm-hmm. but yeah the chocobo song especially and i i was joking to just me which uh. is the thing i do because i'm a lunatic uh about using the the chocobo song that i said slapped as <laughs> Like the jazzy uh, uh, muted trumpet rendition that they play in this game, uh, but as the mid roll, but I probably won't. But do look that up <laughs> if you haven't heard it; it's really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. That's uh, there were a lot of these songs that are just real fucking good, and songs that I hear and realize that I've heard before. And, like, they trigger a response, and that's what you want music to do. Yeah, and don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure, like, the um, like the victory, like, you finish the battle and you get, like, your items and things mm-hmm. uh, from the enemy's song, like, that theme is used in Kingdom Hearts 2 for the gummy ship. Like, whenever you finish a gummy mission, I swear it plays, like, the same music. Right. So they just, like, lifted that and put it in <laughs> Kingdom Hearts. Oh, uh, I do want to shout out the song that plays in Home, in the uh, the Albed like oh, area. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Is the worst song in the game and is horribly annoying. And I wanted it to end at all times. I can't say I remember it. <laughs> God, I wish I was you. It's the one that has like people saying shit in the background, and the I swear to my ear. The, what they're saying sounds like annoying grunt. Like they're saying the words <laughs> annoying grunt. And it has all of these like harsh staccato brass notes that come in. It's like... I'm going to have to fuck with that in the audio because I definitely bottomed it out. But it's horrible and I hate it. Every other song, they're pretty good. Can't argue with that. No. You can Oh wait, actually. I have one other I have an, I have a dishonorable mention. Okay. Uh and I feel like this is if I'm going to have an opinion here because I'm going to be pretty lukewarm to good on most things in the game. Uh and this is going to be the thing that gets me hate if anything does. The music that they play over the Jekt fight is stupid and bad. Oh, it, with the lyrics. The lyrics and like the fucking metal guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tuned that shit to drop D for that one. <laughs> uh, I don't understand. Like people talk about it. I read something online that was like, oh, and the final boss music kicks ass. And I'm like, it kicks ass in the way that the season two theme for Death Note kicks ass in that it doesn't <laughs> kick any ass at all. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> yeah, like for me, like it was super jarring when it first came on, but then I settled into it pretty quickly um, and was able to just kind of tune out the fact that there was like a 2000s, <laughs> like new metal, new metal, like vocalist singing. Mm hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's something that definitely feels like it would have gone over better at the time when it, it would have been like way more novel, like, oh, they put like a metal song in the game. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it felt weird to me now, but it didn't really bother me too much. Yeah, no, I wasn't like upset about it. Yeah. I, it was just, I was expecting something more <laughs> orchestral yeah. and I got that. And didn't know what to do with that information <laughs> once yeah. I had it. Yeah, something like uh, like Xenoblade battle music that has like electric guitars probably would have would have worked better. That's true. Yeah, Xenoblade also good music, but we'll talk about that on the Xenoblade episode <laughs> five years from now. <laughs> yeah, when happens. we finally finish it. <laughs> yeah, because it's so long. Um. Yeah. Okay. This game isn't. The longest game that we've played on the podcast. Uh, and I know I spent too many hours in it that then were needed. But I have this, like, conception of this game in my head. Mm -hmm. Of this game being, like, a sprawling million billion hour type game. And I think we both have an idea as to why I have that perception in my head. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, like... Is that the way that you think of this or not? Not really. Like This kind of brings me to my thesis statement about the game. Um, whereas I think this is just my own speculation, but I'd be pretty surprised if it isn't true, but <laughs> I'll never know, probably. So I feel like in the pursuit or like in their ambition for the such high fidelity visuals at the time, like they really wanted to like wow people with that. They had to, like, streamline and cut things that you'd typically see in, like, the PS1-era Final Fantasy games. Like, there aren't really towns or cities. Like, there's just kind of, like, some huts <laughs> in the places where, like, the temples are. Um, and there's no world map. And you don't get... I think uh, a big thing that could have made, like, a pretty big difference is that they gave you access to the airship earlier. Because you don't get it till like, the end. Right. Um, and just stuff like that, I think, in, like, a lot of the areas are, like, linear corridors um, with a few, like, slightly more open areas. So, like, I think a lot of those decisions feel like they were made in order to, like, make the game look as nice as it is. And for me, it makes the game feel a little bit more limited or, like, shallow as a result in comparison to, like, its brethren. Right. Yeah, my, my like, comparison point, for me anyway, for, like, a sprawling RPG that I've actually played is Persona 5. And Persona 5 similarly has very small areas. Like, there isn't a whole lot of, like, walking about that you do in the game. You just kind of go to where you want to do a task, do that task, and then move on. Um, and that game is very long because it has a lot of, like, it just has a ton of content wrapped around that and i think that you're right like where persona 5 put an emphasis on creating a lot of things to do in small areas final fantasy 10 has 
few things to do in really good looking small areas. Like I think that the 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 art the mini map in this game doesn't it almost betrays how much work was put in visually. Uh, and like my shining example of this is Mount Gagazet where you it looks like a perilous mountain trek with like little tiny rock bridges that you're walking up but then you see the mini map and you're just like this whole area is just like somebody took a crayon and like zigzagged on a paper and then they rendered it in 3d yeah and i highly recommend turning the mini map off because i played it that way because it seemed super unnecessary because uh-huh. of how linear the game is and if you ever feel like you need it you can just like quickly swap it on right and see where you need to go so yeah, I highly recommend that because like I think I switched it on in the desert uh, at one point, um, and it's just like it does really shrink the space. Like you can just see the borders of like where everything is, and you're like, oh, I thought this was like a huge desert. Right. So like yeah, the um, like the pre-rendered backgrounds and the art assets, I think get to shine a lot more when you don't have the mini map on. Yeah. It's the minimap is kind of bad, though I understand their need for it because like they couldn't have made the desert a big, huge, sprawling desert and yeah. expected it to work. So they were like, "Well, we'll put the minimap so people know to not like just try yeah. and run into walls." They could have always just like given you a map of the desert or something, like give you maps for bigger areas. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's um. Uh... It's also, I think, a little bit to do with the pre-rendered backgrounds. Like, that's always been... Like, they look really nice, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Um, but there's always, like, at least a couple of them that have, like, some jank. Like, oh, I didn't realize I could go there. Like, I interpreted this a different way than it actually is. Right. Um, and you don't get that too much here, but it does happen occasionally. And then that's when you might want to switch the minimap on and be like, oh... This isn't a path. That's the path. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, like, you end up... This this happens both when you have the minimap on and off. But you will end up just running into invisible walls kind of a lot. And it's just because the game doesn't really... For, okay, except for one instance, doesn't require you to, like, do anything taxing with your movement. Then it doesn't matter as much. Like, I never go online and hear people be like Final Fantasy X sucked because of all the invisible walls like <laughs> it's just kind of an accepted mm-hmm. uh, thing in the medium and but it is it gets a little awkward sometimes when you have these larger areas that feel like they're really expansive and then you run up against a wall that just doesn't look yeah, like, like it should be there the sand dunes mm-hmm. are, are a very good example of that it's like why can i walk over this one but not that one mm-hmm. and shit like that yeah yeah it's like why is the path like behind this pile of junk and this like little gap between two sand dunes <laughs> that it doesn't look like it should be able to walk through at all yep it's uh, <laughs> they made a lot of decisions there, but I do think that the art really carries it. Like it yeah, looks yeah. real good, uh, even though there isn't a whole ton yeah. to do. You got to cut it some slack for coming out in two thousand one. Checking my notes there for anything that I wrote down related to visuals, I discovered I wrote down nothing. Awesome. Ah, so. Well, one thing that you brought up to me while just while you were playing that i just thought was funny is that you mentioned that seymour uh the antagonist is like the most tetsuya namura looking uh character design ever yeah and 
not that it's like a meaningful disagreement or anything, but I was just thinking about that. And I was like, Seymour kind of reminds me a lot of like the uh, original character designer for Final Fantasy. His name is Yoshitaka Amano. Okay. Um, and he, okay. And I apologize in advance for my pronunciation of this, but like his art is influenced by Yukioi uh woodblock prints uh, okay right, uh, i probably right. pronounced that horribly wrong so i apologize again <laughs> but um and that painting at animal crossing the finger guns guy yeah is in that style but i don't think it's very representative of it as a whole mm-hmm. uh, yeah this I... he did this my phone background like this is his style gotcha and um a lot of a lot of the like clothing and costume design that he does is very like um, like imperial or feudal Japan, like royalty robes and stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what Seymour's wearing. And I felt like Seymour's character design feels like the perfect combination <laughs> of their two sensibilities. Like he does look super Nomura, and he also looks very Amano. It's like they just smashed uh, their sensibilities together to get Seymour. I feel like, though, if the design was presented to both of them and they didn't work on it, I feel like Nomura would have signed off on it. <laughs> the other guy would have been like, well, we should at least change the hair, right? Yeah, it, the hair is the most Nomura part. You're, yeah. You are absolutely correct. But Nomura is the, he's the character designer for this game, generally. Yeah, yeah, the main one. And I went back and forth so I was like a ping pong match, <laughs> whether I liked or hated anything about this this design, like the visual, which is a classic Nomura, where you're like, I don't know if I love this or if I hate it. You mean Seymour or all the characters? All the, every char- every NPC, every main character, mm-hmm. everyone. Because I was like, oh, what is this like shopkeeper just basically wearing a bikini? But then like every dude is also just wearing a bikini. So like <laughs> it just seems like culturally it's a real bikini sort of uh, basis for all of their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like basically if you are not a priest or a summoner or, or a main character yeah you are well even if you're a main character occasionally you are just wearing some form of like bdsm or swimwear at all <laughs> times they're just the probably the single body part most frequently modeled by uh, people at Square was a butt cheek. <laughs> like it was just there were cheeks all over. And it was really strange and jarring and then I got used to it and then I kind of like chided myself for getting used to it. <laughs> it's just a really bizarre thing to see. And it it is I don't in the end I like all of the main character designs well enough. I have ups and downs and shit, but generally speaking, I like them. And I think that the NPCs look hilarious. Uh, but fortunately and wisely, almost none of them are ever important. So mm-hmm. I agree pretty much just straight up. Um, I, I, I do like all the main characters designs. Like I think it's especially um, in like this kind of era, it really helps to like look at, Nomura's actual like illustrations of the characters because like I feel like even at this point that this game looks really good but like they don't quite translate one-to-one like the designs into like a 3d medium um like they can do nowadays 
Um, and so, yeah, I think they look stronger, like, on the page, like, when you see them, like, drawn out. But, uh, you know, I agree 100% that, like, the NPCs look pretty bad across the board. Um, even, like, the significant ones, like Sid or, like, the other, like, rival summoner mm-hmm. and her lackey buff man. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they all look really bad. Um, <laughs> and that's another thing her where... Her name is just Donna also. <laughs> Donna. <laughs> It's like not, not at all a fantasy name. It's just Donna. Maybe it sounds fantasy in Japan. Possibly. But um Yeah, like it, it feels like another one of those things that they had to like sacrifice for like the visual fidelity overall is like all of the NPCs had to be like less uh impressive looking to like make right. things work, yeah. Well, I mean less impressive, not like in comparison maybe to the main characters mm-hmm. but like npcs in final fantasy games prior to this were just the same three sprites sure, reused sure. over and over again so there's an improvement there and there are actually kind of a lot of unique uh models like a lot of different people who inhabit spira uh and i don't i don't slight them for that it's just they look very strange all the time yeah it just i think what i mean is that they're just like noticeably lower poly than Mm. the main characters so it just looks weird (laughs) you mentioned sid the fucking scene where sid turns around and is like addressing everyone while looking forward uh and then the camera pans and he has a sad look on his face is like, oh man, if I was used to stuff looking like that, I'm sure I wouldn't have noticed it as badly. But like looking at it now, it looks so (laughs) fucking terrible. It's one of the many instances where something like either some combination of the animation or the art or the voice acting or dialogue made me laugh in like an unintentional kind of way and that was like one of the peak moments for me it's like (laughs) when sid just has like a distressed look on his face when he really only had one facial expression prior to that and they wanted to make it a point to show him being distressed Mm -hmm. just really good yeah and it's just like like kingdom hearts cuts or like out of cut scene face where it's just like a texture that changes yep oh man uh i wanted to talk about the voice acting and how i don't understand what happened uh so god what is his name the guy who plays Waka and also Bender and Jake, oh. it's DiMaggio. Joe, Joe, John DiMaggio. I feel like Joe DiMaggio was a baseball player, wasn't he? Yes. <laughs> Maybe that isn't his name. I say I don't. I don't remember his name. Well, what I'm trying to say here is I'm pretty sure that he has an Emmy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and. It's like, it cannot be, it is John. It's John DiMaggio. Okay. And it can't, it's not his performance. It can't be just his performance that makes the dialogue sound bad. It's like the them dubbing over the Japanese animations and trying to make the timing work. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Yeah. the vo- It's definitely the voice direction. 
um, especially like, and I'm by no means like an expert or anything on this, but mm-hmm. I've have heard like, cause voice acting is something that I find really interesting. Uh, I have heard people talk about like the art of dubbing and how it's like really, really complicated. Um, and especially I'm pretty sure like from the ones that I've played, like the localization team for square cares a lot about like trying to match the lips as much as they can because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like they do it really well most of the time. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And, yeah, I, I think just back at the time there weren't really standards for this. Like, I've done a lot of thinking about it um, in relation to, like, Kingdom Hearts, whereas I feel like this is a little bit of a tangent or whatever <laughs> sidebar, but um, I feel like um, – Metal Gear Solid gets a lot of, like, credit for being, like, the first game to, like, really take voice acting seriously Mm -hmm. and, like, put it in the game as if it's, like, a film or something. But I think Kingdom Hearts similarly deserves a lot of credit for being, like, the earliest game to have just, like, a professional-ass voice cast. Right. Because, like, it has all the Disney talent and then all the, like, people who voice, like, the original characters or, like, were up-and-coming actors and, like you didn't see that back then and this kingdom hearts came out like a year after this so like it's definitely you saw like it was rare for games to have good voice acting at the time and probably when it came out this was probably seen as like a game with like high quality voice acting yeah and i mean and they had people who were genuinely very good at their job like i think i think the the voice actor for Aaron is really good Mm -hmm. Uh, and I like, I mean, I am very torn on Titus. I think that my overall impression is that the delivery was mostly bad, but I don't hate his voice. Like, I think that he does, he brings a life to the character, which is important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like Yuna and pretty much every other character can, uh, can just not ever speak again <laughs> i think i feel the exact opposite you think everyone i else? think tinas and yuna are my least favorite <laughs> well, of the t- of the cast i think what it is is they're given a lot of lines mm-hmm. which gives you ample time to like be like i don't like any of this stuff yeah and everybody else doesn't talk as much <laughs> i think that they do a good job given the scope of their performance I guess I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, especially, I, I watched a video like a long time ago uh, where someone interviewed the voice actor for Titus and they asked him about the laugh scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made me, it, it definitely has endeared me to the voice performance more because it definitely seems like they told him to give a corny performance. Like they specifically told him to laugh the way that he laughs in that scene. Right. Um, so, like, I think a lot of the, like, more annoying or over-the-top things in his performance are, like, supposed to be that way, uh, and the guy who voiced him does seem like a pretty cool dude. Right. I think, I mean, yes, the laugh scene is a little bit weird, and it's kind of weird that they show it two times through the game, Mm -hmm. but yes, it is intentional that it's supposed to be, like, a strained laugh. And it plays into the scene, and a lot of people show the, the, the clip out of context. I would hope that when it, it, we boil everything down at the end of this podcast, we have 
some kind of criticism that is more substantial than that. <laughs> because that's, that is either everybody thinks that the laugh scene is ridiculous and that's why they think the voice acting is bad, or everybody likes to spout off the fact that it's always taken out of context. Yeah. And so that is like, we can we can take that scene and put, well, we put it in a special place because it's a great <laughs> scene and I love watching it. <laughs> But we can set it aside for the time being and just talk about, like, generally how the voices worked in the game. And, like, I'm glad that everything was voice acted. Like, I mm-hmm. think that they do, there's a lot of text in the game. And the fact that so much of it is voice acted is a big, like, it's re- it's helpful for the enjoyment of the person playing it. Yeah, and this was also the first final fantasy game to have voice acting mm-hmm. which is another reason why it, like the localization might have had like a rougher time with it because it's the first time they'd done it mm. that's definitely very possible but yeah uh i think my my problems like because the laugh scene although you just said to put it in a bin um, <laughs> a special bin uh a special bin but i'm gonna take it back out for a second but um Dust like at least like Titus's voice actor like fucking goes for it mm. like when Yuna chimes in it gets like eight <laughs> times worse because her doing it is just like makes me want to rip my face off yeah yeah a lot of early game Yuna's dialogue is she's got that deadpan like renaissance fair princess yeah thing going on and it has been a long time since I've heard that Yuna but it is not a it's not a great look I want to say mm-hmm. and I think like I don't know. I don't know how far away we're getting from it, but <laughs> I, I the dialogue is important because the the story is an important piece of mm-hmm. this game. And while I like the overarching story a lot more than I thought I would based on my memory of it, I do not buy the relationship between Yuna and Titus. Like I don't think it's believable, and I think at least some of that has to do with the voice acting. But then a lot of it has to do with the fact that you don't that Titus doesn't get a name because they wanted you to hang on to that that name your own character thing. So mm-hmm. at the beginning, no you one can says his name. Yeah, so nobody says his name, and so it's really hard to buy into a relationship where one of the people literally never says the other person's <laughs> name. Cannot <laughs> through the logic of the system that it's implemented in say their lover's name, which is such a weird yeah. thing in the world. Yeah, and I don't know. If it's as much the dialogue itself, but I think my my central thesis applies to the narrative as well. Whereas I feel like the narrative to me, while I think feels like it was like streamlined or condensed well, I feel like it was streamlined and condensed. Like it feels like it has stuff taken out of it. And I think that might also lead to like, there aren't a lot of points where like, things like pump the brakes and are allowed to breathe like we have scenes where the characters just talk to each other about what's happening like um my, my big example for this is like kumari's story oh yeah you get to um his village air quotes there's no village nope. they're just on a mountain uh, there's an archway yeah like and then like his whole he had like a backstory about how like he was he, challenge like he's a warrior he's from a warrior culture and he like lost some kind of challenge and they broke his horn and he was like shunned mm-hmm. uh by his kind and then he, they would have to return there on the pilgrimage and he fights the guy who beat him before and then he beats them and then just like okay 
Kamari's story's over. Move on. Like, that's all that happens. Yep. It's just like, and then five minutes later, Seymour shows up and he's like, I've killed your whole uh, race. Yep. And then Kamari doesn't even get like a reaction shot. You can talk to see. I didn't because as noted many times in my life, didn't use Kamari very much. Uh, He apparently you can talk to Seymour and Kamari will say some shit, Mm -hmm. but Kamari is not like fluent enough in whatever the common language is called uh-huh. to for that to land emotionally i don't think like in the context of a battle speech like if he got a scene yeah then it could have worked but he just doesn't yeah. like like fucking seymour commits a genocide and then <laughs> it's just, just not like, acknowledged yeah, by the narrative at all it's weird i went back to the village uh-huh. and there's still ronso there <laughs> And the, when you the talk, village. The village. I went back to the archway. <laughs> and there's uh and they're still Ronsa there and you talk to them and they're just like, Seymour killed a lot of the Ronsa. <laughs> I was like, this motherfucker. Well, where were there? Was there a village around here? <laughs> he's out here calling Kamara the last Ronso. <laughs> and he's just like he's just kinda like called it a bit. Like he's not I'm not saying that murder is okay, but like don't don't put yourself out there as a genocider. When you haven't really done it, like yeah, so like I'm just imagining like what that would be like in one of like the PS1 era Final Fantasies, and I'm like, you would have shown up to the town, and you would have like spent some time in it, and like mm-hmm. maybe done a few side tasks for some of the Ronzo, and like got to like you know they were doing like a little narrative with Kamari, then you'd do his little fight. Then you'd move on. It'd be like a couple of hours spent. Mm-hmm. And then when Seymour destroys the whole town, it would be like, oh, fuck, that town that I care about. Yep. And, and then like you could maybe go back and it would be like demolished and shit. I yeah. feel like that's how it would have happened. Yeah, because it would have had more uh, narrative weight because you would have known some of the people who got killed. Yeah. And well, I mean, I guess you know Biron. Uh, and yeah. the other dude. I'm surprised that you remembered one of them. Well, I remembered B-Ron because I read it as Brian for a long time. <laughs> I thought it was hey, funny. Hey, B-Ron. It sounds like a nickname. <laughs> yeah, for Brian. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the other guy, but that's about it. But it would have had more narrative weight, and then it could have also had mechanical weight because you just lost, like, maybe a save point and a shop and, and like, side quests that you missed or something mm-hmm. like that. So... It would have been a better scene if the game was longer. But yeah. I understand, though, what you're saying about it being streamlined. Yeah, so I, I feel like there's a, a number of scenes or moments like that throughout the game. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of like the... It, it's clearly like an intentional choice they made to, like, cut some things to like pro- and, like, shuffle their priorities to, like, make the game look the way they wanted it to. But Right. Yeah. And and that is like a whole thing because like like I said because that even leads into Mount Gagazet, which is as I said the crayon scribbling map. <laughs> so they like, it, I feel like and it's not all like backloaded like because Besaid is a village. There are houses and townspeople, uh-huh. and then you go to Yuka, uh, which is a village. It's a it's much smaller, even though it is a much larger like geographical space you can only go between like four areas yeah the one's like a dock yeah that was one of the that's the only place in the game that feels like a real town that's like 
Oh, well, it's Kilik like Kilika. Yeah, Kilika. Yeah. And then uh, the Yuka is the place where the Blitzball the, tournament is. Oh, right, takes place. Yeah. 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 And that feels more like it's just like a, like a complex. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You leave for one scene where Yuna gets kidnapped. And then you come back immediately. <laughs> That's the extent of it. There's not a lot of navigable space, but it's like portrayed as a big thing. Mm-hmm. And then like you go to these smaller and smaller areas. There's a whole, the Jose temple is a temple on the side of the road and there's a tent next to it. Who oh have, yeah, who is even that, named that? <laughs> is that the one with the uh, Ixion in it? I the lightning so? themed one yeah I, I know which summon is Ixion, but i don't remember where you get it yeah. is that your third or your fourth one that's the third one then it's probably yeah it's that one okay yeah uh but yeah it just has like a like a tent yep. or two next to it there's a tent where apparently tita slept which is also where the merchant is and then yuna gets the cushy digs in the in the the in the priest's quarters Mm -hmm. and then everybody else i don't know where the fuck they were (laughs) uh but that's a common theme throughout the game you have a party of seven people and man it doesn't seem like seven people be able to do a lot of the shit that you do in this game yeah so i just kind of like it wasn't even in my head when it happened yeah it's like um the narrative like focuses in real heavily on like titus yuna and Arin, like as it goes on and like it's like after like waka and lulu have like their shit at the beginning Mm -hmm. like pretty much like after blitzball like they just don't do anything anymore and like riku doesn't really have anything going on like she's yuna's cousin and it's her connections that get you the airship but like she doesn't really have like a story right and i will give so waka i think and don't know this I think can have a story if you play Blitzball, which let's just say <laughs> this game has a lot of different things that you can focus on and you're going to end up skipping two. And one of them is going to be something that you didn't really engage with. And the other one is Blitzball. <laughs> like I've heard that it's a really well fleshed out mini game, but I didn't play a single game of Blitzball. Yeah. So that I obviously, remembered blitzball from my time playing this as a kid like you can't forget blitzball no let's um because you get to it and then they're like here's like 87 tutorials on how to play blitzball (laughs) it's like a whole screen yeah and so like it just this whole big thing it's super complicated and it's so confusing like at least that's how i remembered it and i'm like i'm gonna go into it now as an adult and like try to actually like do like anything like any good at blitzball and lo and behold, it's the exact same experience as an adult. Like, it's so much, and it's so finicky, and it's... I can't even begin to describe, like, how big of a miss Blitzball is for me, I, and we being are, enjoyable. We are kindred spirits, because I thought exactly the same thing. I was like, I'm an adult, I'm gonna read the tutorials, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try to win Blitzball. And I read two of the tutorials, looked at my watch that I wasn't wearing, and went, nope. Yeah, I, I even I got through, like, half of them. And I'm like, okay, this is probably enough, mm-hmm. yeah, because this is taking forever, because uh, they're not short. No, they sure are And uh, um, And then I played uh, however many matches you do in the story, like two of them or whatever, mm-hmm. and I scored one goal. 
and that was it and we lost Mm -hmm. i went so it's two it's two halves of one game that you play right okay yeah yeah. in the first half totally scoreless i understood enough about how the mechanics worked to prevent the other team from scoring but not enough to know how to score myself (laughs) and then in the second half if i don't know if this happens every game but we still hadn't scored. Nobody had scored until the one-minute warning or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Waka comes on and takes Titus's place. And then I was like, oh, they're just going to autopilot the rest of this because I didn't know what I was doing and didn't score any goals. But no, they just make you play as Waka instead of Titus. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, fuck, damn it. And uh, then they scored, like, one goal and won the game. I was like, ah, my one chance. Maybe a draw would have been better. I don't know. Yeah. Apparently, I was doing some reading. Like, you can recruit people, like, around the world to be on your team, which you wouldn't know. I did this uh, when I was a kid. I recruited people and I played a few other games of Blitzball even though I never understood what was going on. Uh-huh. And so, like, I had these people and I was paying them salary to play Blitzball that I didn't do. I don't know when it took the money out, but, like, it's, like, in increments of, like, between 10 and, like, a 1,000 gil a, a game or something. It's a really weird mechanic. Like, it's a lot. There's a lot in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's weird because like I re- actually really like the decision to make Titus an athlete. Like mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting and unique thing for a protagonist, uh, especially at the time. And I like that they lean into it so hard and make Blitzball like a thing in the game. But like Titus is supposed to be like a great Blitzball star, <laughs> and he's the character you're playing as. And then they make it so complicated so when you play, you suck ass. And you're like. <laughs> Man, I thought Titus was supposed to be good at this, but, like, I suck at this. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, it creates this, like, weird, like, dissonance. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's like any time, like, so one of the strengths of a JRPG, right, is mm-hmm. that you can give your character this backstory of making them a great warrior, and, like, he can fucking cut a rock in half with his sword. It's incredible. He's amazing. And then in your first battle, they just make the enemies so weak that it does seem like you're just fucking destroying them. And then they amp the scales up over and over again. Mm-hmm. This game does the same thing. It amps the scales up, or the stakes, whatever. I said scales twice. Uh-huh. It didn't make sense either time. Uh, they ramp it up to, like, God-destroying monsters. And the your character is a Blitzball player who sucks at Blitzball, but is super good at just, like, fucking shooting down <laughs> God. Yeah, in my mind, Titus was actually never any good at Blitzball, like in my headcanon, and he was a fraud the whole time. Mm-hmm. In my headcanon, he actually was just too close to Sin's Toxins. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It at explains why when... uh, Jack is so hard on him, because he actually did suck at Blitzball. Yeah. When he jumps off the the thing at, in, in the Xanarkin Ruins at the end, he was just a corporeal person. He just felt he was dead. <laughs> The monster was unrelated. Yeah. Also, side note to my side note to this side note to the conversation that we were having before. Uh Jacked at the end of the game. Maybe this isn't the time to talk about it. Let's talk about the story later. But Wonka, (laughs) to go back to it, doesn't really get a story. But Lulu gets this like weird coda at the end because she 
has this moment, and it's a blink and you'll miss it moment when you're going. You fight a big rock monster as a boss, uh-huh. uh huh, which is stupid. It's done like the, in the, the calm lands. Yeah, it's like you leave the calm lands, and then there's or is it right before you? Get it's there? after. Yeah, okay, it's yeah. right when you leave. And there's a guado there, and they're like, "Come with us. You're a traitor." And you're like, "Nah." And they're like, "Okay, here's a rock monster that I'm take we, this that we brought from home." <laughs> and the rock monster comes down. You fight the rock monster, and then you go to Krauss's bridge, and there's a a little pathway down. And like Lulu looks at it, if you try to go down the pathway, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Don't go, don't go down that pathway." Uh, and then I think T just looks at some other party member and is like, she really knows her way around here, huh? And that's it. This is a whole scene. If you go back there at the end of the game, there's a place called like the Shrine of the Stolen Faith, which is where you get the optional Aeon Yojimbo, the only mm. one of the optional Aeons that I got. Um, and it's, it's revealed that that is like the location of her first summoner's death. Mm-hmm. And like you fight the ghost of her first summoner, and it's like a it's a moment where like Lulu's supposed to have this like development and stuff, but you don't know shit about any of this. Yet she does mention that it just in the calm lands when you get to like the little mm-hmm. hut that's in the middle of it. <laughs> she... Oh, and when the cool the cool pastor priest, yeah, Zook, who's great, I love him. And the cool pastor the... is there, yeah. Uh, but she mentions, like, we didn't make it much farther past this on, like, the first pilgrimage that I went on or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> it, it gets, that's all that it gets, is that mention. That mention, the one mention, and then it gets a dungeon and an optional Aeon. Yeah. So, like, it feels like a lot of importance placed on the very end, and mm-hmm. none on the setup. Uh, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, other than Lulu gets the smallest bit of character development, and really, the three that you mentioned are the only ones who get, like, a real story. Yeah. But I guess, as Tita says, it is his story. So. Yeah, that's true, yeah. It's like the man says. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about the actual full narrative of this game and then get into the mechanic stuff after, after the, the break? break? Yes. All right. All right. All right, all right, all right. Cut the preamble, because we're back. Cut the prelude. <laughs> cut, the pre- cut the love theme for Final Fantasy X. <laughs> uh, welcome back. I feel like we're going to get caught up in a lot of weeds if we begin talking about anything to do with fighting monsters with swords and shit. Uh-huh. So, I think we've made a lot of progress already talking about the narrative, particularly in the personal side of things, where the character interactions feel kind of lacking and stuff. But how do you feel, as somebody who's played more than three Final Fantasy games, uh-huh. <laughs> about this, the overall narrative with Sin and you, Yuna, you, Yevin. you, Yevin, and Unaleska, and all the Y names? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, especially in comparison to the other games in the series. I love it conceptually, um, but I feel like it suffers from a lot of the problems I was levying at, like, 
the narrative uh, on the first half. Um, I I feel like in like seven, eight, and nine all have moments of like there's there's a certain kind of pacing to their stories. Like they have, as I said, um, like moments to breathe and like moments to kind of like do side things, like kind of peppered throughout. And um, some some things that like I kind of wish there was like more time spent in like dreams Anarchand at the beginning or like some flashbacks to it like maybe after Titus like learns what he is he he gets to like he like flashes back or like gets to like go vit back and visit dreams Anarchand and like actually like talk to you Yevon and maybe give some characterization to him or like um and like there was this is kind of unrelated but it just popped into my head but like I really love the detail that like the blitzball salute oh, becomes like a prayer gesture. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like a really cool detail that you probably could have like pulled more stuff like that if you got to see Xanarkand more at the beginning. Right. Um, and like I also thought it would have been cool to like have parts where you actually play as Jekt, Braska, and uh, Aaron on like their pilgrimage. Like you do like a parallel like flash. Uh, sideways because like seven did stuff like that where like you had to play as like zach and sephiroth and like cloud and sephiroth doing things in the past mm-hmm. so like just comparing it to its predecessors it feels like it's lacking a lot of those kinds of details and like uh i don't know like it just those things that really kind of like make people hold up the storytelling in the final fantasy games like a lot of that stuff's kind of missing here in my opinion sure yeah i okay so you brought up my one thing that i don't feel like i fully understand which is what was was the faith's plan from the beginning to make titus show up and kill sin like because they say that they dreamed of a Xanarkand without Sin, right? And then Sin shows up after Jekt leaves Xanarkand because he's now become Sin. So they exist... They say that Xanarkand that stood existed a thousand years ago. And maybe it did, sure. But I don't think that Titus was a guy in that Xanarkand. I think that Titus only exists in the dream version of Xanarkand. Mm-hmm. And... It's like a parallel universe, and the bleed over is when Sin shows up in Xanarkand and abducts him. Uh, so I don't know how Jekt left. Right, that's the one. Like from this is just what I was able to gather from looking stuff up online. Mm-hmm. Like that's like the one plot hole. Is you can't explain how Jekt left Dream Xanarkand. Right, but it is Jekt that is responsible for Titus ending up in the real world because right. he asks Orin to watch after Titus mm-hmm. and Orin is able to go to Dreams Anarchand because he is unsent. Right. And um so and then Sin shows up and pulls Orin and Titus back into Real Spira so that they can defeat him. Right. Uh and I think you're correct that Titus, like, the dream Xanarkin is like a dream of the faith, and that was created by Yu Yevin, who is the leader of Xanarkin. Mm-hmm. He 
wanted to preserve Xanarkand in a dream. And it would have been nice to know his motivations for this. This is why I would like had to have the scene. Uh, yeah, you don't see him outside of. The, you don't see him at all. Yeah, He's just like a blob. Yeah, and as the final boss, and it's like, and they even like there's this whole sequence where like Titus doesn't know who Yu Yevin is. No, because Yu Yevin apparently wanted to make a version of Xanarkin that was everlasting, mm-hmm. but not himself. Like he didn't want to be included. Well, in he it. he is Sin. Though, yeah, basically at that like, point, he's, like, he's responsible for the reincarnation of Sin. Right, but if he wanted to you would think that he would have a version of himself within the dream yeah and he just maybe he does but we don't see it he's not the leader because t doesn't know who he is right okay that disconnected that makes sense uh Uh, but um yeah and so i think the xanarkin that exists in the dreams of the faith is still like essentially a real place where people are born and live right and titus yeah was born in the dream xanarkand Mm mm-hmm this is reminding me of my fan theory about uh, Link's Awakening. <laughs> he was born. Oh, he's like a Marin. Yeah, he was born in the dream. Mm-hmm. In the Bonica Bellucci dream. <laughs> yeah. Link's Awakening 2 uh, set in Xanarkand. Uh, the, yeah. the Sin Fish. <laughs> but I do, I do genuinely love. The ideas behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Con- conceptually, it's great, and I think Sin is a fantastic, like, villain yeah. or antagonistic force. Is very cool. I, there's, like, I don't know if this is a joke largely or if it's just a joke that I have privately, <laughs> but did you know that, that Sin is jacked? being a spoiler for this game it's like a joke i tell because it isn't a spoiler because you right. find out like hour three that that is the case uh but like i like that i like that whole idea and i think the streamlining helps the overall story because you get this like very conclusive sort of narrative from beginning to end where it's like what are we doing we're gathering the aeons because we're on a pilgrimage to defeat sin when you get to the final Aeon, it doesn't go like, oh, your Aeon is in another castle. You just make the decision at that point to forgo the final Aeon and fight Sin, like, on natural. And uh, <laughs> I'm fluent in French. Uh, and when you do that, it doesn't then send you on a big side quest. You can optionally do that. Uh-huh. I did. But from that point, you can go straight to the end. Like, you just get on the boat. You fly up, you clear the DPS check, fly into Sin Space boss, mm-hmm. and then you do the final dungeon and you're done. Like, the final dungeon isn't even that long in comparison to, like, RPG, like every other Final, JRPG, yeah. Yeah, final Fantasy, even, like, more so from my understanding of it. So, uh, it is. It's, it's, I think that it feels very clean and very, like, straightforward and sloppiness comes from the characters sort of like not interact failing to interact in the meantime yeah i i think what's there is good um but i think it's a little oversimplified for my tastes like it's hard for me to like engage with it and not think about like the things that could be in there (laughs) as well you know what i mean um i think it's got such a strong beginning like i think that's one of the reasons where it feels like it gets a little muddled with like the Seymour stuff in the middle. 
um, that I didn't like quite as much. But like, I love like the the atmosphere of it at the beginning, like the introduction of Sin, and then like how Titus is like taken out of at the time you think he's like taken to the future, uh, and like I just think that all has like a really cool tone, and like you get to see the changes through his eyes. And he's like, oh, you know, I want to try and get back to Xanarkand. And, like, there's this this cool dynamic to the story. And it just kind of, like, morphs into something else mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Like, and Titus is even, like, more so than most JRPG protagonists. Like, has motivation to want to go back to Xanarkand. Like, mm-hmm. his life in Xanarkand was pretty fly, all things considered. Like, he was abruptly taken from being like a, a, a like a professional athlete like he was he had tons of adoring fans mm-hmm. and was like probably pretty rich the only thing that he didn't like was jack yeah he's dead yeah which one of my favorite lines in the whole game and there are a lot of lines that i like uh is <laughs> where he's like he's like uh, i hope my dad never comes back and his mom who is his mom and theoretically has like some kind of an emotional attachment both to Jack and Titus mm-hmm. says the words you want him to come back otherwise you'll never be able to tell him how much you hate him <laughs> uh, which is fantastic uh, <laughs> but I think that Jack gets like the biggest pass ever at the end of this game. Like, sure, maybe Titus doesn't feel the same way about Jack that he did when he was in Xanarkand. Mm-hmm. I'll accept that. But Jack was not was an objectively terrible father. <laughs> like, he's a bad dad. He, like criticizes his kid all the time who was like 10 Uh for crying (laughs) (laughs) and he's like never at home and then he just leaves without saying anything like titus is right to hate him like he's fully allowed to do the last thing he says to him while he's still alive is i hate you (laughs) and jack is like haha you have to say that and titus is like oh you know like gives a face like Mm -hmm. i don't really do this but i'm saying it because we have to kill you now (laughs) and like he runs after him and tries to save him when he like falls off Mm -hmm. the thing and then he becomes the final boss and the metal music plays Mm -hmm. and then you beat Mm -hmm. him and then he comes back as regular Jack to yeah, die. As a ghost, yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. And Titus runs up to like, oh, I'm dead. I'm like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you owe nothing to that man. <laughs> but like everything else leading up to it is pretty cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> everything after it's pretty good too. Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird mix. Like this is a game where I love the plot, but don't love how it is told the execution much. yeah yeah i can agree with that the final fantasy 10 novella would probably be a great read yeah yeah i feel like jacked though while being a shitty dad uh <laughs> is maybe the most interesting character to me like him or Orin. I, I i really would have liked more of them. Well, did you go around all of sphere collecting <laughs> the jacked spheres no i You're didn't fool. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> but, I mean, there is more there. Yeah. But it's just so hidden in a way that didn't need to be hidden. Yeah. 
Also, notably, you like Jackton Oren, but you know you don't like Braska, who uh, gets like fucking yeah, nothing. He gets no seconds of screen time. Yeah, I feel like that's another character who gets fucking robbed by this game's like very straightforward approach. Is that like Braska seems like a big deal, and should be uh-huh. like. He is he is the most connections to members of the party than any other character in the whole game. Yeah. Because Jack is Tidus' dad and his guardian. Arin is Yuna's guardian and his guardian. And he himself is Yuna's father. And, like, he shows up and just seems to be, like, a generally upstanding, noble dude. Like, he has no distinguishable character traits other than like what is expected of a summoner uh-huh. and that sucks like he should be deeper and we should get more time with him and he should have more importance yeah and he it's, just doesn't he was he married a uh an albed woman mm-hmm. uh and so he's like looked down upon by all the like people at the temples and stuff and like no one expects them to be able to complete the pilgrimage like mm-hmm. yeah i would have liked more to see more of his story yeah final fantasy 10 is really the story about people overcoming racial boundaries because (laughs) yuna is the child of a a human regular and Mm -hmm. an albed which i don't really understand the albed have their own language but they just look like people like regular normal people but Uh, with green eyes yeah apparently um the albed weren't supposed to have their own language in the beginning and it was supposed to be the guado that were more other right uh, but they changed it for some reason. Well, they have their cake and eat it, though, because the Guano also have Seymour, who is the son of a Guano and a human. Right. Which is another... Just a parallel with Yuna. Right, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's, like, a little bit of both. It's weird, like, because if the Albed are just, like, the cool atheists, and... Uh, the... <laughs> That's basically what they are, yeah. Yeah, but why do they have a genetic difference? Like, it's yeah. super weird. Like, the first atheists, apparently, were just, like, both had green eyes. And then yeah. it just sort of propagated throughout very quickly, because it's only been at most a thousand years. It's been a weird, it's been a weird time for Spira, I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of lore and shit that I could... Not, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm, like, an expert in it. Uh-huh. But, like, there are elements of the story that we could go into, but I don't know how important they really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I was surprised at how much I liked this game, and a lot of that had to do with how much I liked just the base narrative. Like, mm-hmm. I think Sin is just carries the whole thing, because he's very cool. Both he looks cool, and he's, like, a... In the end... He is still really the, like, boss. Like, he's the boss. Yeah. You fight, you cut his fucking arms up, and then you blast into his throat, and then you fight through his body, and, well, then Seymour's there, kind of a speed bump. Mm-hmm. A, a, it's a, he's bad. And then you go, you continue your throat, which I didn't expect the inside of Sin to be, like, a weird steampunk thing, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the end, and then you fight... The guy who is essentially like the fucking the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the sin. Braska's final Aeon. Yeah, and and so like it is still sin all the way through, even if like there's a bad guy behind the bad guy. Like Mm -hmm. the Wizard of Oz is still the villain of the Wizard of Oz, not the little man who is actually the Wizard (laughs) of Oz. Like that's it's like a conceptual thing, but I I think sin works really well, and I like. Mm 
As discussed on the Death Stranding episode, I do love a flying whale. Well, yeah, he's straight up just like an eldritch mm-hmm. horror monster. Yeah. And I especially love it at the beginning where all you ever see are just pieces of him. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like it's the big fin coming up out of the water and it's like five times the size of your boat. And, you know, it's like not even like it's like his shoulder blade or something, you know, like just how like how big he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good representation. They do a good like. I don't know what the the phrase is for this, but like they don't show too much of the monster. Yeah, it's good shit. I like the it. Jaws <laughs> principle. Yeah, yeah. Sin was actually an animatronic. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't get it working, <laughs> so they only show parts of Sin till the end. Mm-hmm. I like that part where you stuff the uh, oxygen tank into Sin's mouth. <laughs> That's how you're able to do enough damage to him before he gets to you. <laughs> um, you want to talk about how you did enough damage to Sin before. All right, so I'm going to come clean on this one. Okay. I've been for years, like what, 2000, 2001, 20 years, I have been using the Spear Grid as a go to example. Of how to make a leveling system or like a, a, a skill unlocking system too complicated. And I make references to it in like episodes of this very podcast. And I'm like, this figure was so stupid and huge and dumb. I don't know why anybody would. This figure was such a failure. Mm-hmm. All right. So as it turns out, I love this figure. <laughs> I'm I'm an idiot and I misremembered it or something or I was dumb when I was a kid. But the spear grid is the best innovation in this game and I am shocked to hear my own voice say these words. Uh I don't know if I agree entirely with what you just said, but it is like m- not that bad or like, like much better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um I think the things that people don't like about it uh, are or at least I know these are what I don't like about it is I dislike the fact that your characters don't have a number associated with like a level that they are so mm-hmm. you know like how much you've been like if you've been neglecting a person like how far they are behind the rest of the party and stuff sure I really hated not knowing that um the fact that there's like the grid is huge and like you want to see more of it than you always feels like you want to see more of it than you're able to at one time during the sphere grid tutorial. It's like, press this button to get a better view of the sphere. And it's just like the whole thing. thing, Or it tilts it. Like, why are these your camera options? Yeah. And then there's also just the fact that like, the like the like user experience of it's a little bit wonky where you have to like click on your sphere and then like choose move and then move the spaces and then confirm and then it moves them and then you use the things mm-hmm. so it's like just a little bit clunky and i think the fact that it like it got rid of like regular leveling like i don't know which is like just weird enough for people to be like uh yeah but in reality it's really not bad Right. I, I Well, I will go a step beyond and say that I think it is actively good. I have never played Final Fantasy X2, the sequel, but did they, they dropped the sphere grid in that, didn't they? I've never played Final Fantasy uh, X2. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did look into did. it a bit, 
just out of curiosity after finishing ten one, mm-hmm. and I didn't hear any mention of the sphere grid. So yeah, I feel like they. Dro- I I could be talking completely out of my ass here, but I know that future Final Fantasy games do not use the sphere grid. It was dropped at least within the X family mm-hmm. of games, so. I don't think it got proper time to be, like, streamlined and, like, iterated on. But there's something about this figure that I like a lot that appeals to me. And I don't know. This is probably not a universal thing, which is why I'm now, why I'm so shocked, I think, that I like it. Is that it gives you an unprecedented amount of control over, like planning like when you play a final fantasy game you got your attack man and your defense man and your big man and then the healer the mage maybe another mage like a thief whatever you have your character classes and they just do the shit that they do and you level up and their stats and their numbers go up and it's cool and whatever and you love it and you're like oh my guy does more damage now but you can't really in most in most traditional level up systems you cannot make like builds like you cannot choose how you want your characters to play in a really specific way and the sphere grid allows a lot of customization and also a lot of planning which i hate slow stuff but i and i and strategy games but i do love planning and i don't know why so I would look at the sphere grid as this, like, I'm always thinking, like, ten levels from now. Like, what do I do when I get to this point in the grid? Do I go this way, that way? Do I take the stat cul-de-sac? Or do I, like, keep powering toward, like, their final ability? Once they get their final ability, whose sphere grid am I going to send them to after that? Uh, I like that Kamari, despite the fact that this really hurts Kamari statistically... I like the fact that the guy whose ability is to, like, absorb the overdrives of other people also splits off his sphere, his own grid really quickly. Like, he can become a doppelganger of whoever you want mm-hmm. uh, when he gets to a certain level very early in the game. Uh, I just think conceptually it's a much better idea than I ever gave it credit for. And I fully agree that it's clunky as shit. And, like, <laughs> I hate moving around on it. And I know that you can do crazy shit in this game and get, like, 99 sphere levels after one fight and then go back in and dump points in and max everyone's stats out. And I can't even fucking imagine how long that takes because you have to individually move the spheres around. And you need the spheres to actually activate the spaces. Exactly. Yeah, like, it's probably, like, a million-hour thing. And I I did it when I was a kid. I don't remember this shit, <laughs> but I remember that I did have maxed out characters, or at least like close to it. I fought super bosses, and it is it's insane. Like that, it is clunky and shitty, but I love the idea way more than I thought that I I would. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I, I don't like it as much as you, but I did <laughs> like it a lot more than I thought. I think the things that would make it good just straight up good in my mind would be like if they actually just gave you a fucking number associated (laughs) with a level Mm -hmm. so you can know because i like to level up characters evenly like that's just a thing that i do um and i hated not knowing like i was like i don't i know kamari's behind but i have no idea how far um and 
I didn't realize like his shtick was that he split off into someone else's grid. Like I took me like a while to like realize that's what had happened. Right. And I unknowingly sent him down Titus's path, which was a mistake. I should have <laughs> sent him down somebody else's, but uh-huh. that's just, he was just a shittier Titus in my playthrough. So yeah. I don't recommend that. Um, but, um, so yeah, if you gave a, a level number and also, God, what was my other thing? Oh, you didn't get points so often. Like, I felt like I had to go into the sphere grid after every battle, yeah, pretty more much. Or less. Like, I, that annoyed the crap out of me. Yeah, I mean, it gives you... It's, like, a weird balance because, like, it is. it does give you a feeling of progression. Like, imagine that you were playing a regular RPG and the max level wasn't 99, it was, like... 3,000 mm-hmm. and you like got levels all the time and you were like oh look at how strong I'm getting and shit I'm level 619 right now uh, and that is essentially what is happening here except the in between step where it would take one frame for a menu to pop up and say your strength went up by one you now have to go into a menu go to the guy make sure that you have a sphere to fill in the thing that you're going to move to it <laughs> and then insert it. So yeah, I 100% agree. Like I feel like it takes too long for its own good. That's why I want it to be iterated on. Yeah. Where's the indie sphere grid <laughs> game? There might be something like that out there. Like the closest thing I can come up with, and it's probably not even that close of a comparison, but it's just what I can think of right now is in the Final Fantasy VII remake, there um the your equipment, like your like armor and weapons and stuff, all have abilities that you can assign to them. Mm-hmm. But you have like a limited pool to pick from and like it's it's represented like in a cool space look in uh ui thing where it's like a little like planetoid in the middle with like the abilities swirling around it and you pick the ones that you want and then you move to the yeah. to the next item and whatever on the arm of the galaxy yeah. yeah but uh so that's like taking a similar idea and applying it to like weapon and armor upgrades mm-hmm. so i mean that's the only thing i can really think of but yeah i know i'm on the same page though like i would actually like to see a version of this that's not so like rough around the edges both like literally and like aesthetically because it is on like a weird yeah (laughs) crumbling rock structure because yeah like character customization is one of like the best things about rpgs is like you get connected to the characters and like you get to feel like my titus is like different than your titus yeah like like you you build you build them up with your own two hands or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and this, yeah, definitely has a focus on that. Yeah. The sphere grid. Yeah. And it feels good. Like it feels interesting. Oh man. Got a lot here that my brain is swirling. Uh, <laughs> like that level up system you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you can make like mixes where you're not sure of what the results are really going to be. And that is exciting and interesting. It's like part of the reason that I like Riku as a character and why I liked her more when I was a kid than I did this time through is that the mix overdrive feels so unique. It Mm -hmm. feels really unpredictable. And I was excited about 
the prospect of not knowing what was going to happen when I used it. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked just being like, I don't even know what this item is. Like, do I want to get rid of this item? What if it does some really cool shit? I see. I hate that. Oh. Like, it gives me choice paralysis. And I always feel like I'm going to waste stuff. <laughs> This, this I like game it on a weird yeah. uh, relationship with items, but we'll get to that. Yeah, later. like I like it on paper, like but like I was like, ah, oh, if I do this and it sucks, I just wasted the overdrive. Like you know, mm. it always felt like the cost was too steep to experiment to me. I guess that's fair. I think a lot of it is like how willing are you to do to go out of your way to get unique mix ingredients? Because if you have shit that's just like laying around because like early in the game mix feels like useless because you just like riku feels useless when you first get her because she like dies in one hit yeah and, and it sucks and yeah can't do damage but yeah i just like had a memory of liking riku and so i made sure to like use her as much as i could to level her level her up quickly mm-hmm. um and i do i still do like riku and i still used her a lot in yeah the game. she's one of the best characters in the game i think yeah weirdly did not use her in the final boss but we'll talk yeah. about that uh i'm surprised yeah <laughs> well i i we'll talk about yeah it. we have to get to we have to get over regular combat before we can get to end oh. game content but uh we talked a lot about the sphere grid but we didn't actually talk about like the combat system right yeah that levels you and, up in the yeah, sphere grid. <laughs> yeah that's what it's for right um but uh this is <laughs> final sphere grid 10 10 <laughs> But uh, I actually think this is my favorite, like, pure turn-based combat system in the Final Fantasy series. Like, okay. <laughs> I like the uh, ability to just swap your party members out, like, whenever, over, like, the ATV bar. Mm-hmm. It's great. And I, I feel like the timing system like the agility system and yeah the way that you have like a bar that shows how likely you are to get like a little extra turn if you take a less necessary action that turn mm-hmm. like it just feels good like that part is also great mm-hmm. yeah and like um so yeah it's super useful you feel like you're using the whole party more um instead of just having being limited to three pl- characters like you can have access to any of them at in any fight you could use every character in every fight if you want to um very easily and i also felt like they balanced the combat really well to where i was like buffs and spells felt a lot more useful than they do in a lot of rpgs because like they just felt like they became like naturally like useful it, way earlier in the in the game than they do in most RPGs. Yes, one million percent. Yes, I think that's part of the reason why I like this combat system more than most in JRPGs is because it feels like. So this is the worst example because I'm taking something that has like teeth and formulas and is complicated. Final Fantasy X versus like the literal simplest thing in the whole world. But if you look at Pokemon and you're just playing through the game casually, you're not trying, you're not playing fucking VGC. Yeah, you end up, a lot of RPGs, like the majority of, like at least half the playthrough, you run into that situation where it's just like easiest to just hit stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's all that you really do. And there's like, you get all these abilities and they just pile up and you don't really need them. Yep. And especially in 
in these like in other JRPGs, it's like you end up wasting. You feel like you waste turns when you use buff spells, and yep. I I feel like part of the reason that I engaged with this is because those spells feel like they have a real technical advantage. Oh yeah, like haste is probably like the most valuable move in the game. One hundred percent, the most cast third most cast spell in my yeah, like probably. like pretty much any battle that I wasn't gonna like you know roll over mm-hmm. easily i'm like i'm cast in haste i'm cast in protect or shell or you know like cheer right all those moves and like so much more than i would in most other rpgs yeah i do i wish yuna had an earlier skill than prey like something to do when she doesn't have to heal someone mm-hmm. because i felt like she was the one most likely to have like a dead turn where she's like i don't know what i'm gonna I do see, i always turn. felt there was like a like a protect you spell that I could cast on somebody. That is, I mean, some protect doesn't come until like later in yeah. the game, and I think before that is is when I'm talking like. Cause well, she's, yeah, early she's on, really fast. Yeah, too. early on, she can only heal. Yeah, and you end up being like she has two turns in combat, which is why I never used her early in the game. Uh, and then she yeah, is the I one who dealt the yeah. final blow to the last boss. Yeah, I can't not keep a healer in my party all the time. So like Yuna was probably like the highest like leveled character you, you coward. i coward. i just that's just the way i am like i have to have a healer in the party uh, i can't stand not to this is why we're friends because i always play healers in everything that i mm-hmm. do uh did how fucking miserable was that like good three hour period of the game uh, without just don't have well, Yuna. it was fine because of albed potions the yep. best item in the game you're not wrong they are great yeah and then thank god like towards the end you can just buy them from the merchant on the airship Mm -hmm. those are those are clutch yeah i don't know did you ever ever hit a robot to death with a sword oh no riku can just can just dismantle them so well stocked yeah albed potions and grenades yeah like but it did make that part where you're separated from yuna really effective on me because i relied on her a lot right so that that moment landed exactly i think as they wanted because it's a long time Mm -hmm. you know that that you're separated from her so like i'm like when am i gonna get her back i don't want to run out of these potions like uh, i always felt like i was gonna get fucked yep it's like i can't heal anybody anymore like i have to just like i don't know what to do yeah so yeah i thought that was real good yeah full agree that's like we've talked about like games where they take away your equipment or shit and like whether that lands well or not, like some games do it well, other games don't. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is this is a great example of where you can take away one piece, but it's like an important piece. It's an important cog in the machine. Yeah, and it's like some characters just become like kind of unusable without Yuna. Like I found that like I was way less likely to swap in like a Kamari situation mm-hmm. because his defense. I took him down the the Lulu path. Note, neither of us took him down, like, the accepted good path, which I think is Riku's. Eh, I would have guessed Orin. That's mm. what I was wishing I would have done, but... Right. There's a lot of different ways you can go with him, but, uh... Like, so he was really squishy for me, but he had a lot of HP from his early shit, and so I was really scared to ever put him in, because yeah. I feel like he would just get slaughtered and I could never heal him. Uh, it's a weird... It's a weird push and pull as to, like, how the different members of your party work with everyone else. I think that's why swapping out is so good. Yeah. Yeah. And it also like 
helps that that sequence like narratively like it makes Yuna seem really important to the party mm-hmm. and like she is the most important character in the party like narratively so like it it's definitely like one of those situations where they like unify the gameplay unify oh <laughs> that was actually totally unintentional my eyebrows yeah. fell off the top of my uh, head yeah, when but, you said that. yeah but they unify the narrative and the gameplay there uh how do you how often did you summon uh early on like hardly ever but as it went on i ended up summoning a lot actually like i always wanted to have like the summons like overdrives maxed out so i would like you know grind them out uh and like dismiss them so that i had that in the bank so yeah and like early on like I remember being really annoyed by the cutscenes, but like once I hit like a certain threshold, they just didn't bother me anymore. So I don't I, know. Like I ended up summoning quite a bit. I won't jump too far ahead in this discussion, but I never got used to the cutscenes like taking so long. Like I feel like they're one of. We talked about this a bit before where they should let you skip cutscenes after you've seen them for once. Yeah. And I, that applies to that as well. And, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. It it takes so long, and in the end, like, I didn't do jack shit with any of the Aeons. Like, I, uh, really? I almost never summoned, and I would summon them to take a big hit from a telegraphable boss. Yeah, and they are good for that. Yeah, so I mostly use them as just, like, sacrificial fodder. Yeah, so, but you do one better, though. If you have their overdrive maxed out, you summon them, they can blast the boss <laughs> blast and the then boss. take the hit. Yeah, I did that a couple of times for sure, but like it was never like, like that's the how, prime directive. Yeah, that's how I beat um, the final version of Seymour. Oh yeah, like spaceship Seymour <laughs> uh, Hoffman. <laughs> As he's known. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> but uh, rest I would, in peace, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You've yes. been replaced <laughs> by Spaceship Seymour Hoffman. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you you max out all the overdrives on all your aeons, and then you just summon them all back to back, and it will do all the damage on him. It'll kill him. <laughs> wait, wait, okay, hold on. Is Spaceship Seymour... After he kills all the Ronso, yeah. So not Golden Boy. No, not at Seymour. the end. Yeah. Not at the end, no. That's, like, that's what, the fake version of Seymour. It's when you, like, canonically kill him in the game. Right, And then yeah. he's, like, unsent at the end. But yeah, that battle, you just... You have all the ions charged up, and they just do all of his health. Mm-hmm. If you summon them all back to back and just blast him. <laughs> yeah. No, and I've heard, I've heard that discussed as well, just like... If you are building, like, an if you build your Aeons well and, like, teach them new spells and increase their stats like they want you to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that once and regretted it intensely because <laughs> it uses up so many spheres. And I, like, I, and I had to grind out a bunch of power spheres or whatever. And I was right. like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> they were good enough. <laughs> you were at a bad... I think my understanding of it was that you were at, like, kind of a bad point in the game for it as well. Yeah. Because, like, you weren't just, like, rolling in spheres. No. Which you are at the end of the game. Where you're like, I'm never going to use 99 yeah. spheres. This is going to happen. Yeah, and in the beginning, you're also kind of rolling in them as well. Like, yeah. in the middle, it kind of dips. Yeah, I remember there was a point where I ran out of magic spheres. And I was like, 
you can run out. Yeah. <laughs> I was so surprised. So I had to, like, use distill magic, which I'd really just never done. Yep, and extract speed and all mm-hmm. that stuff. It's, yeah. I, I hit a point where I needed to grind anyway, so I just grinded out a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, there were some piranhas that would drop attack spheres, and I had extract speed on, like, a, several characters for some reason. Right. And, uh, yeah, so it wasn't too bad. Well, you did send Kamari down to That's Yeah, that's why, yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know. Yeah, that was really... So, downside of the Spirit Grid, which isn't a downside of the Spirit Grid, my it, perfect It baby. takes a depletable resource to use it. <laughs> well, no. That, also that. But, <laughs> notably, the, uh, the... It's more of a problem with the menu system, where you... Unless I just didn't see this as a setting, but you can't, like remove things from the menu and like after you get like fira and blizzara blizzaga well i mean the second level uh, blizzara yeah you would never use the first level spells again like the cost difference isn't enough to like really give a shit that's true in this game for sure yeah so i feel like there should be an option to just like blank those because all right, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll jump to it now. That's way too modern of a feature for this game to have had. <laughs> That's probably true. I keep forgetting it was 2001. Yeah, it's it's a pretty old game, yeah. actually. Uh, it's I, getting up there. Yeah, at the end of the game, the pretty much the only thing I was doing was double cast flare. Yep. <laughs> Just uh, over and over again. Yep. And so I would have to scroll to the bottom of this long-ass list of spells. You should have it with a hotkey like Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Hotkey those spells. That would be great. A depressed fucking triangle of double cast flare. Yeah. Oh, L1, mm-hmm. double cast flare. <laughs> Done. Done. That's it. That's all you need. And what Yuna was double casting Ultima because mm. I took her, I warped her over to where Kamari was, who was on Lulu's tree. Bear with me. <laughs> and dropped her down to pick up double cast because I thought that she could double cast white magic spells, but nope, you can't. only black, yep. So she had to double cast Ultima, which is such a long fucking cutscene. I didn't get Ultima. It costs a lot of spheres, yeah. and you didn't spend as much time wandering around in the fucking desert as nope. I did. <laughs> but yet, Holy was good enough for me. Yeah, Holy is good. It would be nice if you could double cast in. Yeah. I mean, at the I end... I mean, it does 9999 damage. Yeah. So. Yeah, both, both... And it costs like 84 MP. Oh, this probably isn't even that relevant, but there is a, a discrepancy between my understanding of how much Demi cost mm-hmm. and how much you you thought it cost, and I found out why. It's because I was using a weapon with the ability Magic Boost, which doubles... Doubles. A, yeah, and I didn't know that at all. I was just like, this is a really expensive spell, uh, and eventually figured that out and then i just appended yeah. one mp cost with lulu I, I ended up getting a cactuar like weapon familiar whatever you want to call her mm-hmm. uh weapon her focus yeah uh, i don't know if I they're supposed a... to be alive or if they're pets i think they're just like dolls? they're they're just dolls that she like animates with magic or whatever that's gotcha. my read anyway um but i got a cactuar one early on that uh had sensor and some other good ability and like i used it the whole game like i never got a better weapon than that yeah uh till like the end end of the game yeah i got also a cactuar uh that that had magic boost on it it was like a hundred and twenty thousand 
Gil from the dude, the merchant guy on the mountain. And I was like, fuck it, why not? It had magic boost. I don't know if that is. Sounds good, though. Uh, and then it had, like, some other magic-enhancing abilities on it. I was like, I'll take it. And then it had a fourth open slot. So by the end of the game, I was able to just stick one MP cost on it. I was like, done. Build your own celestial weapon. Though I realized as I was playing that if I had the actual celestial weapon, which nobody's fucking dodging 200 stupid lightning bolts to get it, but if I did, and it had the break... Uh, damage limit thing, I would probably have been doing like a really stupid amount of damage. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't necessarily regret not dodging 200 lightning bolts. <laughs> I found a, a video that claimed that there's some kind of trick to doing it like easily mm. that you can do, but I, I still feel like I feel like it's probably not worth it still. No. In, in, for me, anyway. No, it, apparently it was worth it for me when I was 10, but it sure ain't now when I'm pushing 30. I have precious little time left. <laughs> not going to spend it dodging it's lightning bolts. Slipping away all the time, faster than a lightning bolt. <laughs> Better dodge out of the way. Yep. Oh, God. Um, I want to talk about Waka. Waka Waka. Waka Waka. Um, I find, I think Waka has a problem <laughs> because when people talk about when the internet people, the people who live there on the uh -huh. internet, uh, they talk about Waka as being like one of the best characters in the game by like a margin so wide, it's laughable to compare anyone to it. When you play the game <laughs> as a normal person, uh-huh. Waka feels weak, like the whole game, because his shtick is he's the he's the status effect guy, the sniper. Yeah, and he also hits flying things. So he hits flying things, which he's great at. Love doing that with him. That's great. But then his other thing is that all of his like special abilities are like dark, sleep, poison, that kind of stuff. Like he just does effects, and I feel like they all feel so situational. Because most bosses are just, like, immune to most status effects. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to put Jekt to sleep. Like, he's not just going to be, oh, now I'm going to take a nap now. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually think you can, but he has those things that heal him. Oh, yeah. Like, you can do status effects to him, but he just gets healed immediately. That would make sense. He doesn't get healed enough, from <laughs> my experience. Uh but yeah, so I, I think Waka feels bad to use for a lot of, I would say a lot of people, but it, at least me. Uh, I found that to be true as well. Like, one of the reasons I think I got stuck when I was a kid is because I never used Waka, and then there, I got stuck in the shoe puff part, the mm -hmm. shoe puff marshmallow men. Oh, uh, so like you, where you fall, the... You fall into yeah. the water, and then you fight, uh, there's like a piranha thing, and then you fight this robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this machina under the water and I could not beat that fucking thing because mm -hmm. it's just Titus and Waka and I probably didn't grasp how important haste was because <laughs> uh, I was a dumb child but uh and yeah so like Waka was under leveled and you know like I just couldn't beat that boss and uh but yeah I think Waka I think you're right he feels weak for most of the game but then I had got into a point later on where he actually was like so, like it felt like all of the sudden he was doing like his like more damage than like Tidus. Right. Like, you know, like somewhere between Tidus and Orin. I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> like 
Yeah. I don't know if I guess I was just being negligent or something, <laughs> but like it just kind of seemed like he got good all of the sudden. Yeah, I feel like the way that Waka worked for me is that like you end up using him because of his accuracy. Yeah. Like that's the his point. And so he still like got levels and like he was competent. Like he was one of the last people to finish like his grid for me. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, like I used him more than Kamari, but like less than everyone else, pretty much. That sounds exactly the same for me, yeah. Uh and yeah, so like it, but he was competent. Like he was he wasn't like hopelessly under level. Mm-hmm. And I felt like his climb and damage was very slow and also had moments where he just felt useless again. Like there'd be enemies that you would attack where he would deal like six thousand damage to them. Yeah. And then Titus would deal like a like chump change. He'd be doing like fifteen hundred, two thousand something. And like with generally the same type of equipment that they were using. There's a lot of variables. And then, like, later on, you would find more shit, and Waka would just be like, and, like, (laughs) toss a ball at somebody for, like, 30 damage. And you're like, what happened here? Like, why is Titus out damaging you now? And I don't understand, like, even when they're on the same tree. Yeah, I think my interpretation, or, like, my, what I thought was going on with stuff like that is, like, they tutorialize, I think like i don't know if it's like enemy types like like with orin it's like the things that are like big and bulky and look like rock dudes right orin can do like a bunch of damage to them but like titus can't do any (laughs) i think it's like one of those situations like there's certain kinds of enemies that waka is bad against but it isn't telegraphed very well right yeah especially with what because like with with Arin, it's easy to see like the the piercing weapon, yeah. weak enemies all do look like fucking big boulders. rock boulders, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Wonka is like, yeah, super easy to see that he can hit birds, but like, what about like a like a big like a boss? Like, yeah, I don't know. And like, I ended up, I think like the most useful that he ever got for me is when I found a ball that gave poison strike, and so it was just like. I would just hit people with the poison and just switch him out. I'm yeah. like, all right, good job. He he is he was a switch hitter. That's one of the names of his one of his uh, weapons. <laughs> his switch hitter. So aptly named because that's what he was. Yeah. You'd throw him in and like use like silence or dark or whatever ball on them and then swap them out, put someone else in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's I walk a Riku and Kamari, I feel like have they have a pro like a readability problem. It's hard to see what they're good at. Whereas the other characters, it's it's extremely very obvious. Yeah. I thought Riku only really started out that way, but then quickly, like I found her niche pretty fast. I thought mm. it, 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 she's so fast too. Like I'd always switch her into the party. Like I always walk around with Titus, uh, Riku, and Yuna in the party. You know, I couldn't be bothered and to then, go into menus, and then that you much? swap them out. As needed when the fight actually starts. Yeah. I mean, you were already going into the menu. You might as well. <laughs> you had to, to level up every yeah. battle. So you might as well switch them. Yeah. No, but it is annoying to, like, remember to do that. But yeah. I got in the habit of it. I don't know what else I have. I used Arn a whole lot. Arn is probably the best character, I think. <laughs> At least for me. Like, the 
how it felt to play. Uh, you want to talk about the side content? I do. Because we talked about that off the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about... I don't know. I've opened my fucking notes. As and... if there's anything written there? <laughs> no, I do have stuff. Uh, but I think what I... I'm nothing on this in particular, I don't think. I wanted to give this game sort of its, like, intended experience... Or at least, like, my nostalgic experience of the game. I wanted, like, to rehash that while I still had love in my heart. (laughs) And the game does its best to sap all of it out of you if you try and go for any of this stuff. But I, as a kid, did do a bunch of bullshit because I had infinite time and... I wanted to go through and and complete everything in the game. That's just, like, how I was and how a lot of people were when they were younger. Um, And so I tried to do a bunch of the side content in this game. And, man, oh, man, if you were not using a walkthrough for, like, every single step, a lot of this stuff is so esoteric, I don't know how you're ever supposed to find it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, I feel like... It's exactly the kind of, like, side content I don't like. Like, the kind that you need a guide mm-hmm. to to do. Or to even know that it exists. Like, if you hadn't mentioned that there are celestial weapons in the game to me, I wouldn't have known there were celestial weapons in the game. <laughs> right. Because, um, like, I feel like it's the linear path of the game. And then the fact that you don't get the airship travel till the end-ish. Uh you don't really have any reason to go back. Like no one, you know, like I feel like there's point in like the middle of the game. Like maybe when you get to like the desert Mm -hmm. or like the calm lands, like you get to a more open area, they should have like had some kind of scenario or you like, you get some kind of fast travel. Uh, If they don't, if they want to hold back the ship till later, I get maybe like you get a chocobo thing, like, like a chocobo, cart that can like take you to a specific kind of area or whatever yeah like you pay for it or something yeah. so that the airship like a taxi like a big upgrade. yeah like a taxi service and you right. can only take you to certain places something like that that in like it like encourage you to go look around mm-hmm. like i know like, i got to the calm lands the first time and i noticed that there was stuff off to the right hand side but i just didn't go to it because like i couldn't figure out how to get across the gap so i'm like oh it's like an open area. Like I'll probably come back through here or something, you know, like it seems like there's stuff here. Right. You know, like I'll just kind of follow the trail and then I'll come back, but you don't come back. Like you just move right on. It's just, it's the way it's implemented into the game. Just like, it's a little bit too secret, a little bit too extra. Like it's kind of like it's tacked on. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like, there are things, there are a lot of things that are just like scattered throughout this game, and there are a few that I like. Um, I want to call out. I think the Albed primers, the fact that you can slowly translate the Albed language, like in your uh, subtitle text, is cool and is what leads to getting um, passcodes for the airship to go to secret areas and there's like five of them or something like that that you can find they're like on walls and you like look at the wall and it tells you the passcode 
and but it tells it to you in Albed, so you have to translate it first. And I like that, and I also like that is I think the easiest hint for celestial weapons existing at all. Uh, well, the easiest one is probably the monster arena thing, but we'll get into that mm-hmm. because I hate the monster arena so fucking much. Uh, but there's like one of those that leads you to God Hand, which is Riku's um, celestial weapon. And it's real easy to upgrade, but I don't know how anybody knows how to upgrade it without having a guide. It doesn't make you have to literally comb every fucking inch of the game to find all this shit. Like, there are some easy ones that you'll probably just get. Uh, one of Yuna's upgrade items is just like in a chest off the coast of the very first area of the game. And like Lulu's is just in the far plane. Like if you leave the far plane, then just immediately walk back in. There's a chest, and you can open it. It's there. So that kind of shit does exist and can kind of clue you in. But like the item descriptions don't really tell you anything, and it's just really hard to find. Um, but that lends this sort of like air of mystery of coolness to them mm-hmm. that makes them like an enticing thing to go for. Um, and that is what I like about it. And then everything else is bad and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, because I, I oh, probably... The, the Aeons are cool, too. I yeah, will, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I feel like if the game would have given even a little bit of, like, a nudge or acknowledgement, like, mm-hmm. or in, like, opened it up in the middle of the game, like, I feel like I would have done some of the stuff. But, like getting towards the end and getting the airship and then like having trouble with some of the late bosses and Googling stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's all this shit. And like, I just <laughs> want this game to be over and I don't want to do any of this crap. Right. Like, you know, like it just feels like it's like a weight that gets dumped on you mm-hmm. if you don't like, cause it, it just doesn't tell you about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the end game, like there is, I referred to it earlier, the sin fight where you're on the ship. Uh, is like a, it's a DPS check. It's mm-hmm. a can you deal yeah, enough like, damage? I couldn't do that, and right. I had to like look up like what the fuck, <laughs> what, <laughs> what the fuck FFX? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Question mark. And you're like, especially because like the first half of the battle, like it's solid like thirty percent probably of the time that you have to deal damage. You can only deal damage with with range. Oh, yeah, Lulu and Waka. Yeah, and you don't have if you don't have them dealing a bunch of damage which i don't know half of people probably don't yeah like you have to just power level or go on these ridiculous side quests to go get super strong shit and like i didn't hate all of my time doing some of this stuff like it was nice to go back and revisit stuff and and all that for the record i did not get every celestial weapon (laughs) i didn't do all of the aeons i in fact was they added something i think I knew I know it was added eventually, but I don't remember what version doesn't have it. So I may have dealt with this as a kid, or I've never seen them before, and I don't know. Uh-huh. But Dark Aeons, which are just like insane, giant... Secret bosses. Secret bosses that are super hard to beat. Uh, I ran into one on accident, and it team-wiped me in one second. Like, it, it went first, and then it killed everyone in one hit. It was just like nine nine nines across the board, and I was like, oh, "Okay, so I guess don't go there." Uh, and they put one of them in Besaid Village, right outside of the temple, which blocks you off from going back. Which there's like a key item that you need for one of the things, 
and you have to be able to complete you have to have done the optional puzzle in the temple in order to unlock anima and you need anima to get you the secret weapon and or celestial weapon fuck it whatever uh and so and it's like strongly recommended that you have these aeons in order to beat the dark aeons but if you can't beat the dark aeon then you can't get the other aeon to then get the weapon yeah. to beat the aeon yeah. it's so they expect you to have not missed the item in the temple right. which you're never as you mentioned yeah. ever gonna just yeah. go back <laughs> in the middle of the game mm-hmm. you're gonna wait until it's already there to murder you before you return yeah ugh yeah, that seems like a change that was made with, like, veteran players in mind and fuck everyone else. Yeah. Like, I just wanted, I set my goal, but before I finished the game, I was like, I want to get uh, Anima. Anima was the one that I wanted for sure. But I had this plan way after I had already completed Vesade Temple, so I didn't, I didn't know that I missed the Destruction Sphere puzzle. And then when I went to the the palace thing, the little statue wasn't lit up, and that's when I realized that like my hopes and dreams were falling down and burning in flames. Yeah. But... Uh, random story thing. Uh, I really like that Anima is Seymour's final Aeon. Mm. I think that's a cool like narrative detail that it's like his mom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it also seems like very much in pain. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't actually know what Anima's story is. Yeah, at, uh, I think it's that he's, Seymour's half, what, half Guado, half human. Mm-hmm. I think his mom was human. Right. Yeah, and his dad was... Was a Guado. Yeah, like, Maester, whatever. Maester... Doesn't matter. Um, I'll think of it. And, like, but he was, like, shunned by, like, the Guado people for, like, being half-human, and mm-hmm. obviously they didn't like her either. <laughs> um, and so they made a pilgrimage because she wanted to, like, him, like, to be his final Aeon and for him to defeat Sin so that he would be, like, accepted. Mm-hmm. But uh, then he ended up just not fighting Sin. Like, he just... Uh, fucked up. Yeah, he fucked up. <laughs> And so I guess, like, the kind of, like, sacrifice and, like, the lingering, like, uh, guilt of her son just, you know, carrying, like, that ostracization or whatever around. Right. Well, that explains the sad top half, but what's up with the demon bottom half that punches you to death? Uh, It's also a a mother's rage. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I just yeah, thought I that was, like, a cool backstory. I, yeah, I agree. And I'm sure that, like, a lot of them It's, like, have... a kind of, like, a curse kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the thing where, like, these are kind of deep. I know that if you summon Anima when fighting Seymour in the last boss, uh, he'll be like, I see even my own mother opposes me. Which, if you don't know any of that, it's confusing as hell. <laughs> yeah, I only found out while, like, doing posts... Yeah, uh, research because it's like a secret uh, thing. You had to get Anima to right. find it, to learn it. And Anima's not even like that difficult to obtain. I got Yojimbo, who is like harder but still pretty easy. Uh, the the Magus sisters are the only ones that are like legitimately kind of difficult to get. Um, but still, <laughs> it's a rough it's a rough shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
And I'm not even like opposed to the idea of super bosses and things. Now, I like love Ultra super bosses. Endgame. Yeah. yeah. I just, I feel like the placement and unavoidability of them is really mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. And I st- also like, this might not matter as much for other people, but like it presents itself as just like a move forward linear experience. Mm-hmm. And then like, as I said, I feel like it's just not integrated well, like the extra content, like I feel like a little bit of effort in the design in that department goes a long way to like making people care about that stuff. Yeah. But people do. I yeah, think they do. They have plenty of people it's do. It's because it's a Final Fantasy game though. I think yeah. people want to squeeze the time, everything they can yeah, out of it. Yeah, and the time it came out, like yeah. this is me playing it now. This stuff seems like a big deal, but if I played it then, I'd have done at least some of this shit, you know, right. like I would have wanted to just keep playing it because mm-hmm. I had I was a kid and had tons of free time. Yeah. So did you never ever go to the monster arena? I did go there. I didn't ever fight in it. I just did the chocobo thing under it. Oh no! Is not that, that not place? No, not that place. The place with the guy. The guy in the weird like, yeah, I statue did. that moves around. Yeah, I did go there. Yes. Yeah, it sucks and i hate it and they put so much of the end game content behind it as like a big wall i understand its point to give you things to fight in order to get weird end game gear and i feel like they didn't need to make you because if you're okay the purpose of it is to go get end game shit mm-hmm. for shit you need for the end of the game when you're already fucking super strong and powerful. Uh Uh-huh. But in order to do it, you have to go back to the very first area of the game and kill 10 dingoes, (laughs) which is not fun in any way. Uh, And obviously I didn't do that either. I did like the very minimum amount necessary to get uh, the Mars sigil for Aran's secret weapon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is terrible. Uh, like it's a terribly long, boring, terrible side quest, and I don't, I I do not get it. I feel like they could have just had all the monsters that you can fight for the end game stuff and just made it cost more money. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Uh, you want to talk about the final boss? I guess I do. And, yeah. and how you managed to kill it. <laughs> uh, so for me, I I playing this for the podcast had to do it in like a limited amount of time which also deterred me from wanting to do all of the uh game guide extra content (laughs) extravaganza yeah uh so i ended up going with like the accepted easy strat as it seems online of like getting the wings of discovery from racing the chocobo and the weird little chest race mini game mm-hmm. so you can synthesize trio of nine 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 with riku and have everyone in your party do nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine <laughs> damage and also it's great for prey because you can just heal nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine i didn't actually health. know it worked with that yep. that's great yep it works for healing too and you can see even with potions wow um so our bed potions also amazing um so you mean still amazing still amazing yeah. even more amazing <laughs> and so and then riku herself has these items called uh like gems like fire gems water gems other like elemental holy gems, gems whatever yeah. Blessed and gems. they will hit like six times so you can kill 
uh, Jack's first form if you're lucky and one hit from her. Right. Um, I didn't get that lucky. It took like two, but still, like that's really, <laughs> really fast. And so that's how I managed to beat the final boss is by having everyone do a shit ton of damage. Right. So did also, you... uh, uh, some help from Bahamut. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, tanking the uh, yeah. the overdrive, and and he can he can break the damage cap as well, in, right? In with deal. mega flare. Yeah. Uh, did you go in, die, look up the strategy, then go back in and do it again? Yeah, okay. I tried to figure something out myself, so right. I died to him several times. But then, yeah, I, I looked up the strat and came back. And... Okay, my question that legitimate, if I was rating this, let's say on a scale of one to like. 20 mm-hmm. we're gonna give it so like a 10 a 1 to 10 but i can do half points uh this would knock the game's rating down by a full half step uh-huh. depending on the answer to this question which is if you die to the jet fight do you have to run around and collect spears again in the icicle area yep. oh fuck that i was so determined like hands palms are sweaty knees <laughs> weak arms are heavy yeah Try, playing fighting the the final boss because i just didn't want to run around in the icicle area again yeah you have to do it again that sucks so bad it's not fun no but uh but i did i completed in one and i didn't use riku because at that point in the game i had double cast on both yuna and yeah double casting lulu yeah and both With- casting flare and ultima over and over again which Ultima's dangerous. I've I fucked up a bit. I'm lucky that I beat it on my first try. Um because you, if you use Ultima if you double cast Ultima and it kills the the U pagodas that heal him, mm-hmm. uh they come back with twice as much health as the damage you dealt to them. Which normally, since it deals ten thousand damage, wouldn't be that bad because they have five thousand health. So they would come back with 20,000 health. But they stick around and take both hits, so they actually come back with 40,000 health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I could just basically, like, I would I didn't try to touch them ever again. Like, mm. I would use unit to do other shit rather than attack. So it was really the Lulu show for the majority of the last, uh, the final area uh, and the final boss. And then Yuna <laughs> was like, summons the aeons and like looks sad and then just blasts because <laughs> she was the fastest character and also the one that dealt a million billion damage and so she was just her cycling through aeons and murdering them herself <laughs> which i feel like isn't the way it's supposed to look in game mm-hmm. yeah that's also a really great uh thing after you beat uh jack's that you fight all the dark aeons. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Like, yet you, you have to summon them yourself. Right. And then kill them. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's good. Very I, I imagine if you used the aeons more often, they it probably is, like, a affecting moment, you know? Yeah. But I guess at that point, you do know that you're never going back. Yeah, and you know, like, <laughs> you, you also know their stats. Like, you know how much HP they have <laughs> and how they're not that going to be that hard to kill. Did you? You said you had an item with sensor. Yeah, if, if you I always had on, someone with sensor. Okay, yeah. when you used it on the um, on the aeons, all of the like dialogue at the top is just they all just say like "send me to my end." Like it's all very dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the faith said they're tired of dreaming. So. Yeah. 
I guess they they want that sweet release. And Titus is like, I'm right here. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if they're really... The final boss, I don't know if there's much to say because I think we both were in a situation where we were able to just kind of nuke it to death. Yeah, but I feel like the game necessitates it. I agree. Like, it's... it's it's one of the things that kind of like I thought like left a bad taste in my mouth. It's just like I got to the end and I'm like I can't come anywhere close to beating this thing. And then like I looked up, like you know like what's the strategy to like to help me with this? And everyone's just like, do this thing that takes a bajillion hours to get all these powerful weapons and shit <laughs> or power level to get yeah like what you did like so you yeah. can just double cast the most powerful spells in the game for one <laughs> MP. Or, you know, like something like that where you can just obliterate the boss, like Trio of 9999, right. etc. And it's just, no, there's no just like, oh, you just fight him like this. This is the strategy, like right. to beat him with the game mechanics. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, no, do this cheesy stuff to deal a bajillion damage. Right. Which makes me feel like they should have treated the boss less like the other bosses in the game and more of like an end game like flourish yeah well i mean he looks threatening but he's really actually kind of easy yeah i mean they do that with like the aeons and yu yevin at the end yeah jacked himself yeah it feels kind of is still tough yeah yeah i agree and it's weird like i think because a lot of the other bosses first of all had save spheres nearby them and you didn't have to go yeah. run through the stupid... God, there's no... Because like, when you... After you do that, you, mm-hmm. like, are set down in, like, a little little walkway up to where Jekt is. Yeah. No reason you can't have a safe sphere right there. Right. It's like a spot. Mm-hmm. Just put us in. Like, it's meant to have one there, and it just doesn't. <laughs> and they just took it out. Yeah. Because they wanted they to do the needs dumb to be really hard. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Because, like I said, knees weak, arms are, arms are sweaty. That's how it goes. <laughs> Uh, and it, it like when I was doing it, like it did ratchet the tension up, but like not for the right reasons. Yeah. Like I wasn't scared of losing to the boss because of like I just didn't want to run around and collect the orbs again. Yeah, like no, I got to a point where like I I felt like just giving up and not beating it, mm-hmm. and like you don't want to put players in that headspace. No, at least not without like actively telegraphing what they can do to get stronger. Yeah, like as we said, there's no real indication of like the super end game items and like thank god i ran around and <laughs> caught all those stupid cactuars to get access to the cactuar village which is just a brown patch of cactuses <laughs> to make riku's final weapon to then just not use her in the final fight at all <laughs> like i did all that and then i went to the thing and i just never used her uh and it was like mm, maybe it wasn't worth it mm-hmm. to do all that um it's just i don't know I think with a more clear indication that there were interesting things yeah, and then a more focus on making those things actually interesting <laughs> mm-hmm. and not grindy um, because there's lots of grinding that you can do that you've probably already done some of. It's just sort of in the nature of the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, making the secret stuff grindy as well is not great. Agreed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did have one last thing. It's uh-huh. a very important note that we need to to go over, is which it, is, is how do they breathe underwater? Is how do they breathe underwater? I googled this. 
<laughs> Someone has asked this question that isn't me. And apparently the answer is magic did it. Uh, uh, see, I, I found the answer I found, because I also looked this up, was that it's <laughs> it's because of pyre flies. Right. Yeah. That's the magic that did it. Oh, okay. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so apparently like like the stuff that floats away when Yuna does the sending mm-hmm. are pyre flies. Apparently everything in this universe is like composed of them. And apparently it just like if you can like harness like their like energy or something like you're fucking superman like getting energy from the sun or something they can you can just hold your breath for a really long time they're actually not breathing underwater they just don't have to breathe (laughs) at all for a really long period of time yeah i think there's a mention early in the game about blitzball players like training to hold their breath yeah i'm glad we saved this conversation for the end yep uh (laughs) this is where we get the really important stuff out of the way so what was the actual thing you were gonna say? Uh, fuck Bavel Temple. Oh, the one with the, the conveyor, conveyor belts. belts. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the the trials at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it's gonna be anything you're gonna be surprised to hear from me, but like, I appreciate some puzzles in my RPG, like even if they're this shallow. The shout out to the one in the ice, the ice Macalania. temple. Yeah, that one actually had a good puzzle like where you come back and the bridge goes out yeah and you have to like find out how to like restore power to all the pillars actually a well-designed puzzle full agree that one was actually super good yeah i i liked a few of them like yeah I like think none that... of them were bad they were just all like really well one of them was okay, bad. Well, okay. conveyor belts were bad but like they're all just like really simple yeah uh they, yeah they were pretty simple and there wasn't like they're not super involved. The mechanics involved with them are really easy to like understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I liked them, and I was surprised that most of the other puzzles in the game that just are out in the world are feel very terrible in comparison. Like swim into three holes, yeah, <laughs> which is not a puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I think especially at this time, like RPGs were not known for like having puzzles. Mm-hmm. So, but like, so I always appreciate when developers make any kind of effort to put something else in other than just combat. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I am not surprised as you described, mm-hmm. and I'm I agree. sure I've said the exact same thing on another episode before. But also that music. Oh, in, the temples in the temples is actually dope. Also, yeah. Uh, it's super atmospheric in a way that I, they really spoke yeah, to me. The first temple you do is one of the most vivid memories I have of playing the game as a kid. So mm-hmm. I guess that landed even better with me when I was a wee lad. Yeah, I remember when we were like, we're going to do Final Fantasy X. The first thing that came into mind was Titus standing stark still on that platform, rocketing through the Beval Temple and missing turns. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have we cleared the topics we wanted to, t- to cover? Mm-hmm. I think I peppered them all in nicely as we talked. Nice. We're a well-seasoned podcast. <laughs> Do we have fantasy thoughts? Uh, yeah. I, I probably came off a lot more critical than I intended on this. Um, but I think that's because... I played the majority of this game for the first time n- now mm-hmm. in 2021. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to like 
I, I've kept judging the game on like based on what I wanted it to be rather than like what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those situations. Um, but like when I try to divorce myself from that, like what's here is good. Like this is a good game. It just doesn't. I feel like a lot of like as I said probably over and over again. Like it feels like they had to like sacrifice or streamline or cut down on things that I really appreciate about uh, at least uh, Final Fantasy games and largely RPGs in general uh, to make like their visual goals happen. And in my opinion, like playing it now, it in hindsight, it feels like it wasn't worth it. But when I think about it, like in its time, it feels like it totally was, you know, like it feels like a totally justifiable thing and it made them tons of money and I'm sure pushed the medium forward a lot and did a whole bunch of positive things in its time. But like, it's a decision that I don't think stands up nowadays. I think it ended up hurting it in the long run, at least for me personally. But I mean, this is like one of the highest regarded Final Fantasies. Like people love it. So maybe I'm in the minority on this one. (laughs) But uh, I did like this game. I didn't love it, but I am glad that I finally finished it like as i said i played it as a kid and if you've ever had a game like that that like you started as a kid and you come back to as an adult it's always a weird experience uh can be really very satisfying to find it's like a thing in the back of your mind is now the way it has been left been released yeah uh you get to perform the sending on that uh (laughs) weight in the back of your mind uh, so yeah, I did like this, uh, but it's just, it's a game that's almost kind of like God of War, the newer one. Like, I find it really easy to be critical of it, even though I like it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of falls in that zone, where it's like a, a flawed experience, but still a good one that I'm glad that I that I had. Yeah. I think that you nailed the reason for this near the beginning of your your final thoughts there which is if you took somebody who had listened to the podcast previously and we each rated this game out of 10 and we slid the papers to them and told them like which one who do you think picked which one this is like a weird instance where it would be they would be wrong they'd be like final fantasy 10 such like a regular ass rpg Chad probably gave it, like, a 1 out of 10 and was like, <laughs> I farted on this game and was like, eh, that was better than playing it, haha. Because uh, that's the kind of... Those are the kind of jokes I make. Um, and I I think what it is is they cut out a lot of the stuff that you really like about RPGs and that I don't really like about RPGs. Um, this game is streamlined, and I'm not... I'm, I will never in a million years say that this is, like, a flawless example of an RPG. I think there are lots of strengths that the genre has that this game does not live up to. I think that the character development is kind of poor. Uh, I think that the world is really linear and, 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 like, narrow, and there are things to do that are because there aren't a lot of like little secret things to run off and do in the big open world, then they have to hide it behind a lot of grindy nonsense. But I spent the majority of this game up until the very end, not really grinding, um, not having a super hard time with anything, just kind of like 
feeling like I was actually strategizing, like feeling like I was making smart decisions in combat and really interested in, in even though I already knew <laughs> because I have played it before, but like finding out how the story was going to end, what was going to happen in it. Um, and like having that, that rush of nostalgia and, and just kind of like getting it. it, it felt like a very understandable and straightforward RPG, which I think is why ultimately I like this game a lot. Um, the it has flaws like I talked about, and despite embarking on some of the end game quests, do not think largely that they are worth the effort. Um, I'm sure that there are people out there where the rush of defeating like Nemesis or whatever is a big deal. And I don't want to take that from people, but I think that that plays into the parts of RPGs that I don't really like. And the main story part of this game plays into most of the stuff that I do. Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be going from a game that takes 50 hours to beat to a game that takes half an hour to beat. And yet I've already put in twice as much time as I did into Final Fantasy. Uh, we're going to be talking about Supergiant's Hades. We couldn't put it off any longer. <laughs> he tried so hard. But he's like, Chad's never going to play any of these other games if we don't talk about Hades. <laughs> and get him to just stop <laughs> for one minute. Please, God. Uh, please, Zeus. Please, Zeus. Oh, mighty Zeus. Um. Which is a, is a roguelike, which will be the... Well, I mean, by the time it comes out, it'll be the second time that we've talked about a roguelike. But uh, uh, I don't know. Looking forward to it. Um, because I've already played it. And <laughs> don't have to do a lot of work. Uh, until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. There you can find... Uh, our email address, our Twitter, link to our Discord where you can talk about the game. This game actually came uh, from a well, it came from Japan, but it was suggested to us on our Discord, um, and it was kind of a game that we considered way back in the day, mm -hmm. and just never kind of got around to. But that was the push. So if you would like to push us, <laughs> yeah, we've been doing the cast for a while now, so like we don't have quite as many ideas we're like dying to do so like we're much more open to suggestions now and it won't take us a million years to pencil them in because <laughs> we used to plan like super far in advance yeah we'd be like oh well i guess we could do this three hour game six months from now yeah. after we finish all this i guess stuff. so yeah like Please leave us suggestions. <laughs> uh, and links to all of our old episodes. You can listen to our episodes on uh, Chrono Trigger, Persona 5, uh, some, we do, we do Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts and it's Kingdom got, Hearts 3. Yeah, it's got Tidus and Waka in it. <laughs> and Orin's in the second one. Uh, um... Like button. Double cast that like button. <laughs> no, don't do that. Then I'll turn it back off. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't need to unlike the video. It'll like and it'll subscribe. <laughs> you can double cast do both. Yeah. yeah. 
liking and subscribing are black magic. Yeah, and you can only communicate in the comments if you found all the Alved primers, because it's going to be an all Alved comment section. Okay, if somebody leaves a comment in Alved, I'll give them five bucks. (laughs) I will not do that. (laughs) Um, But I will, I'll put the little heart on the comment. Uh, That's the greatest reward. It is. A reward reserved. See you guys later. This concludes our podcast day. Let's blitz. (laughs) Let's blitz. Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who fuck my dumb ass. (laughs) Uh, It's perfect for me, then. (laughs) I think finally a podcast for us.